God's good, isn't he? And he's got a plan and a purpose. This last few weeks, I've just been speaking about our times are in his hands. And the times we need to remember that most are when it doesn't feel like it. The times where God is obvious. You know, sometimes he's obvious in your life, isn't he? And I love those moments, don't you? And you have to cherish those moments. And I don't want those moments to leave my life, but God does it on purpose. It's a part of following him. He allows it on purpose. He allows moments where you don't feel him. He allows moments where you don't see his hand through your natural eyes in your life. And those are the moments that you need to raise your hands and just give him praise and thank him. Thank him that he's just as much God as he was yesterday, today. I just want to segue from these last few weeks right into what I believe the Lord has given me to speak about today. And I um, just want to get into, I believe, in the next week to few, we'll see what the Lord does. I just want to get into uh, Joshua and crossing over. I believe the Lord has spoken that it's time to cross over. We need to cross over. And what is that crossing over? Why was this moment in Joshua? You know the story. You know that they came out of Egypt. God had delivered the people out of Egypt. God had miraculously delivered them. After 430 years of slavery, God brought them out and freed his people. And then we know what happens with human nature is even when God does great, amazing, mighty things in our lives, they forgot him and they pushed him aside and started murmuring, complaining. And we see this season of the wilderness. The wilderness season was uh, unfortunate, and yet we can learn from it. There's so much to learn in that season. But I love Joshua because there's a moment where God says, Joshua chapter 1 Verse 1, it says in Joshua 1, 1, come on, we need to know this. After the death of Moses, and this death of Moses signifies also the death of the wilderness, the death of that season, the death of the testing and the trying and the going through. And there was a death of that moment, and the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and he said... Come on, I love it when the Lord says to you, Moses, my servant is dead. That season is dead. That time is done. It's finished. Therefore, everybody say out loud, therefore. Therefore, the time has come. I feel like the Lord's been giving me that line for the last two years. It comes in and out. You know, I love the, the Lord's threads, how he weaves our lives together. Then as a pastor, he's, you know, I'm looking at sermons and how he weaves them together. And then it's amazing how he's so faithful and merciful to us. And there's, you know, there's uh, so many things that he's doing in us all the time. But then he's got this common thread. He kind of comes over here and we work on this in us for a little bit, but he comes back to it. And believe he's coming back to the time has come. 
We need to be different. There's a time for his people to be different, to stand out, to finally, he didn't free us for no reason. I think that's, you know, the biggest thing that they forgot in the wilderness was that they were looking at now. Looking at the here and now, they failed to look ahead. That's what God, I believe, was so upset about with them. They didn't trust that he had done these, and he did big, giant miracles in their lives. Who's had God do some big, giant miracles in your life? He does big, giant miracles on purpose so that when you go into the wilderness, you say, well, I mean, my God's my God. He's God. And they forgot him. But the Lord's calling us again. The Lord deals with us in those seasons, and he uses it to teach you things. And who's been taught some things in, this, in their wilderness? We've learned a few things. If you're still alive, you've learned a few things in that place. Then the Lord says, it's time. I believe the Lord is calling us another thread, another common word this year, victory. The Lord's got a, it's a victorious church. It's a victorious people. It's so easy today to look at our surroundings. And even for revelation-focused Christians, you know, for us to say it's the end times. It's so easy for us, though, to look at the things around us and be somehow a little defeated, a little bit like, you know, this is it, this is the end. And it may be. If anybody's going to say he's coming soon, it's me. But the Lord is calling his people to be victorious till the very end. He has not called us to run and hide. He has not called us to say, you know, we can easily get into the fear. We can look at the things around us and get into fear and worry and doubt. And that's why we've been preaching on my times are in his hands, just to be keep our eyes on him. Do you know, technically, if you look at the word, the word is crystal clear about this, except for persecution. Except, all right, that's a side category. If God desires his church to be persecuted for his glory, he has done it through all through time and has brought him glory. We don't understand that in our flesh, in our minds. We don't necessarily get that or like that, but he has allowed it to bring him glory. In fact, Paul says, I love, it's an amazing thing. I'm paraphrasing, but I get to share in his suffering because I also get to share in his glory. But with the exception of persecution, there is nothing, no one in heaven or in hell or on the earth, in the seen and the unseen, that can touch you, that can take anything from you. We need to get this so down deep in our Christian DNA. We need to know that. And then that means, if that's the case, that means that if something is happening, if something is happening in your life, and your eyes are on him, you're aligned with him, and something is still happening in your life, then you just need to raise your hands higher. Paul was in the prison cell, and he didn't lick his wounds. He praised the Lord God. If there's something happening in your life, and still in that place, then we just need to praise him more. We need to raise our hands higher because God is going to work a purpose through that. And when you can get that, we need to get it now. I've been saying that. I feel like a broken record saying that, but I'm saying it to myself too. We need to get that now. 
Because the world has never seen persecution yet. The world has never seen suffering. I've been saying, hurricanes are normal. They come and go every year. We just happen to have one on our coast. So it, it was a little bit, it was sensitive to us. But there's another one happening somewhere else in the world, whether it's typhoon, you know, whatever they're going to call theirs on their side. It's going to happen. Tornadoes, hurricanes, things are going to come. The world is going to see those things. But there will be a time where it'll come from every side at once. It'll be a hurricane, a tornado, an earthquake, a comet, persecution, war, etc., all at once. And we need to know as believers that God is God. And that there's nothing that can be taken from you. Jesus said, don't worry about them taking the things of this earth, and I'm paraphrasing, the things of, your, of this life. They can even take your life. Focus on the things that they can't take, the soul. They can take your life. Don't worry about that. Worry about what can take your soul away. And so it's just a different focus that we need to have. I believe the Lord's calling us to. He's calling us to cross over. He's calling us to be his people, to be his church. And the time of the wandering is over. That's what they did in the wilderness. They wandered. Who has felt at times in your Christian walk? Sometimes you can't help it. You were just part of the flow. You were just there with the crowd, and it just was what it was. But who has wandered in God at times? You don't even know you are wandering most of the time until you look back, until you get to this moment where God says, time to cross, and you go, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I have been a little bit wandering. I have been murmuring. I have been complaining. The Lord says, time to cross over. It's time to go across. Now, something amazing happens in this moment. God bless you. Something amazing happens here. God calls them to cross the Jordan, and guess what? When God says that he's going to take you across the Jordan, what do you think God's going to do? He's going to take you across the Jordan. If that's what he said he's going to do, that's what he's going to do. And we find this amazing thing. There's, there's so much, so I, I don't know what I'll get into today and what I'll expand on in the next weeks. But So this amazing moment, though, happens. Joshua prepares the people, and he gets them ready, and he says, because God's going to take us across. He shares this message, and God has spoken to him and encouraged him, right? We know we love these scriptures in chapter 1 where God tells him, be strong and courageous and stay close to my word. Don't deviate from it. Don't even let it out of your mouth. And he encourages Joshua. Joshua goes out. He encourages the people, and in verse 3, he tells them, in verse 3, we find in verse 1 that they, they left Acacia Grove and they arrived at the banks of the Jordan where they camped before crossing. And three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. There's a key there. There's a key here. He says, verse 4, because since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. God's calling us to cross, but I want to make a point. We're going to get immediately into this. God has a way. I said that last week. God's way is God's way. 
we don't need to help him. In fact, we're actually doing ourselves danger. We're doing ourselves harm and believers around us and the world looking at us around us by helping God's way. He doesn't need help with his way. His way is his way. We don't necessarily like it in our flesh, and it doesn't make sense when we say Jesus is the only way. I mean, as a believer, that's great confidence, but when you say that to seven billion people in the world with all kinds of gods and all kinds of cultures and all kinds of not Jesus, that's a harsh thing. It's a harsh reality for us to get, but we cannot question his word. We have to understand that his word is his word. It's something, again, this is another thread he's been saying this year. I don't know why he just, he, the Lord just felt like he needed to sum some things up on this September 2017. But the Lord is speaking to us now. It's time to know his word. And by knowing his word, it's not here. It's not here. Knowing his word means I don't question it. I just believe that his word is his word. And if that's the case, it actually makes the seriousness of Jesus being the only way much more serious. We get much, it should, that, that's a weight. Jesus said, my burdens are light, my yoke is easy, but that's a burden that shouldn't be light on us. That should weigh on us. Shouldn't weigh on, on your own life. That's the lightness. That's the burden being taken off. But the weight of his, him being the way and the only way should weigh on, on us as believers because it, it causes us to look at the world around us, to look at people around us very differently. I don't want to get off on too many tangents today, but I just needed to say that. But he's bringing his people a certain way. It's his way. He said, when you see the priest carrying the ark, you've never traveled this way before, so I want you to stay back a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark, and make sure you don't come any closer. I felt like I really needed to read these details too because God has a way. I think we, can, we could. We love grace. We love his mercy. We love the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, don't we? He gives us tremendous freedom. We have such life in him and peace, and joy, and hope, but he's still God, and his Godhead has not changed. Even though he calls us friend, he said, I call you friend. I can call my son friend, and I love that we get to be friends, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm still his father, and Jesus is our friend, but he's still God, and what we could do as Christians is we could Love that grace and that mercy and that friendship of Jesus, but forget that he's God. And he has a way. He has a way. And he said to them, Joshua told the people, verse 5, Purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. And in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, Lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. So they started out and went ahead of the people. Give this command to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. So Joshua told the Israelites, Come and listen to what the Lord your God says. 
verse 10. Today you will know that the living God is among you. And we are going to know again. The time that you, like I said, there's times that he makes it clear. And there's times where it's not so clear. Those are the moments that you have to remember what God has done in your life. You have to hold on to what he has already done because he's not finished yet. I want you to say that out loud. God is not finished yet because I'm still breathing. He's not finished yet. And he said, today you will know that the living God is among you. God wants to be known by you. He only allows the moments of the questioning and the wondering so that it's an internal, it's a spiritual knowing. He wants it to be in your DNA. But then there's times where he's done all the threshing, the tearing, who's had a little bit of that? He's had some junk come to your surface, and he said, where'd that come from? The Lord's just been purifying He's been purifying you. He's been threshing us and pulling some of the more of the flesh off because he's going to let himself known. And what did he say? What does his word tell us? God is too pure to be near your flesh. You would die. So there's been a purifying that he's doing. And he's about to make himself real clear in your life. Believe in this season. I believe the time we're coming into. And if we're looking at the end, if it's not, then so be it. As I say all the time, our ends are coming. My end will be here in 50 years. So I'm, I better make use of this time. But I believe it's the end. And if that's the case, guess what's going to happen? Jesus told us. He's going to come again. And he's going to come for a clean and white bride. Isn't he? Am I staying on point enough? I feel like I'm a little bit all over. Just the Lord today speaking. He said, today you will know that God is among you. And he said, I'm going to drive out all the tribes ahead of you. Verse 11, look at the ark of the covenant, which belongs to the Lord of the whole earth, will lead you across the Jordan River. And what is the ark? The ark at this time symbolized God's presence it was his protection. It was his provision. It was his peace. I mean, it was everything. It's now inside of us. Where's the ark now? Who's the temple? We preach this. Who's the temple? We are. So then the ark that was, had no temple yet it went into a temple, but where's it now? Inside of us. So we are carrying God's presence in us. And so the Lord says, you got to follow the presence of God. You can't follow your mind. You have to follow me. You have to follow my ways. And he tells them, and don't you think, I was just laughing to myself, don't you think they would be very anxious at this moment to run to, into their promise, to run into their victory? And now the Lord's like, okay, now listen, it's going to be this, and it's going to be that. I want you to wait here, and I want you to do this. Who is like me? That when the Lord's taking you through something, you're ready for it just to be done. And now he's like, okay, and now I want you to purify. And then it's going to be this day and that day. And God's, God's patient, isn't he? He's patiently working with us. We rush. We want to rush into the, into, but God is patient. Why? Because what happens when we do things quickly? We don't 
There's a couple of things, really, but we don't get the seriousness of it, A, and B, we quickly forget. We just forget. We get so, we get running with God and for God, and then all of a sudden, God's like, what are you doing? Where are you? God has a way, and we could be doing good things, godly things, and not be doing what God has asked us to do. And to be his people, the differentiation that he's going to make, even of who calls themselves believers. You know, there's many people in this world today, and it's not our job to judge. But Paul said to judge all things. There's many Christians who, who use that title, who say Christian things like, thank you, God, for this victory in my life or whatever, in a sports event or whatever. We've said this before, too. But their life, certainly, it doesn't seem to reflect the glory that they're giving to God. God is looking for the pure church, the true church, and one that is going to go to the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. But this is the amazing thing that I'm trying to get you to. All of this, he's got away, but this, then it says in verse 13, that the priest will carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. As soon as their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off. There's been an obstacle in our way, and I, and I want to get into some obstacles in this next. That's really what the Lord's been speaking to me, that there's been the enemy as opposed to you. There are things in front of you. Once, once the Lord deals with you, let's just look at the whole picture of the gospel, right? We were lost, right? We understand that. Then he saves us, right? But then he doesn't just take us home. If he was just a, if we were complete, right? Then in there he would just take us home, and that's why it's such a it's a, such a backwards thinking for us to want to be reclusive. And we've all thought it, but it's of the devil to okay. And now I'm a Christian. I just want to go live in Hawaii, and just remove myself from this world and just love God. But that's not complete, is it? That's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus said, follow me. And where did Jesus go? Jesus went to the cross. The gospel is not you getting saved. That was the beginning. That was the spark to the gospel. You getting saved was the beginning. And who's thankful for that beginning? That's not something I'm taking. I'm not putting it lightly. I'm not putting it down. And I'm not saying that it, it was worthless, but Jesus paid a price to give you a life to live. That glorifies him, and that puts what? What did Jesus do? In fact, this is interesting. I don't know that it's true, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, there, is, there are some Jewish scholars that believe that Again, I don't know that it's true, and it doesn't really matter because his gospel doesn't change, but that David took Goliath's skull and buried it, and they believe, the scholars believe that it was the place of the skull where his cross was placed. Now, I don't know. It doesn't really matter because in the, in, the, in the end, when Jesus' cross got pounded in that ground and he got on that cross and his blood came off of him and hit that ground and cleansed our sins, the devil's power, right? That's what Goliath was representing in the Old Testament, the enemy opposing them, the forces of hell against him. That thing was beneath his feet immediately. 
and Jesus paid a price, not just to give you eternity, because then he'd be like, okay, let's go home. But then we have this gap of time, this gap of time called our, our human life after. Some people's gap is smaller. They say yes late in their life. Some people's gap is longer. God knows what he's doing, and he knows he knew you before you said yes. So he knows your gap, and that gap was on purpose to give him glory and to rule and reign, not so that you are some super somebody, some special somebody. That's not the purpose, because Jesus was very humble, wasn't he? He was the most humble person that ever walked the earth, and yet Satan, though, was beneath his feet. There is something that God is doing in your life when he saves you. He instantly puts you on the cross with him. That's what the word tells us. In fact, Colossians 3, one of my favorite passages, tells us, why are you thinking about the things of this earth? Why are you thinking about these things? Because you died. Past tense. Jesus took you and put you on the cross with him, which means that everything else following the cross is in your body as well, which is what? Resurrection and victory and dominion over the enemy. God is calling his church. We don't even realize it's been, it's been a, a, a subtle thing. The devil has crept into the church today, hasn't he? He's mixed in so much junk, mixed in so much stuff that's not in the word. He's mixed it in and he's created a different gospel. And God's calling us out. He's calling us to purify. He's calling us to cross over. He's calling us in. And they crossed the Jordan into the promise to do what? I can't wait to preach on it. What's the, what did they do? Okay, Lord, I'm getting way ahead of myself, right? But I got to say it. They get across the Jordan. Okay, let's just relax. Ah, land flowing, milk and honey. Uh, nope, that's not what the Bible says. They immediately go to the walls of Jericho. Immediately. The very first thing, it's time to get to work. But Lord, oh, thank you for this salvation. Thank you, I crossed over. I crossed over. You know, this is what happens when they cross. It says, verse 16, it says in verse 15, it was the harvest season, so the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priest, because that's what God said would happen, God's word is his word, and what he says is going to happen is going to happen, whether you like it, think it's going to happen, or etc. It's going to happen because he said it would. So the water backed up, and it says it backed a great distance away to a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan, and the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Jesus... The picture of the gospel in this story and in this whole chunk of, well, the whole thing, the whole Old Testament is a picture of Jesus, and it's a picture of who we are as his church. And I want to make this point to get us into these next weeks. We need to, and I, like I said, I had to say what, where we're going. I'm telling you preview. That's where we're headed. But this is what happens at this moment. 
God created a crossing. It says that the water, do you know when God says something in his word, he doesn't say it by accident? That he names specific towns and does specific things on purpose. Now picture this amazing picture of Jesus Christ. It says the water backed up to Adam. Anybody know who Adam was in the Bible? Anybody? Anybody not even a Christian? Never heard the Bible. They know Adam. Adam is the beginning. It's, he's a symbol of life. And it said that the water flowed through this Jordan to the Dead Sea. Is anybody starting to get this already? Is the revelation starting to come? God separated life and death. That's why we get, you know, we get the, the phrase crossing Jordan, right? It's where it comes from. Crossing over. Leaving death behind, crossing into life. God created a crossing, a cross. Now picture this. You have Adam and you have death and they crossed over. It's amazing God's word, the pictures that he's given us, isn't it? And this crossing, God created a crossing. Come on, even just the wording. I know we're bringing it into modern, we're bringing it into English, but God knew that we would speak English, too. <laughs> he knew that, too. And he's like, hey, one day this will be a funny little play on words that they crossed over. We're not the only language in the world, you know that. But he loves you that much. He's that special and that intimate to every single little detail. I just heard it on the radio this week. You know, they were just quoting a verse, but it was amazing. It said, the Lord doesn't miss a bird falling from the sky. It's amazing. God's amazing, isn't he? But he brings them across, and he brought them across, and they said, Verse chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Now when all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take twelve stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan and carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel, and he told them, Go into the Jordan and in front of, ask of the ark of the Lord your God and pick up a stone each, carry it out. And he says, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across and these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. The very first thing we do, look at the symbolism. When we cross over is what? Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Isn't this an amazing picture? And if the picture is this clear, then we need to pay attention to the rest of their story, don't we? What we need to be careful that we don't do as believers is mix together stories and create our own picture. 
a little bit of the paradise, a little bit of the heaven and the promise, not much of hell or not much of Jesus warning us. Don't worry about the ten virgins half not being ready. Don't worry about those things, just his grace and his love, his provisions, protection, all truths. But it's all, it's one big picture, isn't it? And the whole picture without parts of the picture are not the same picture. It's like that paint by number. You only paint in some of them, it's going to look different than the box. The Lord's got a whole picture he's painting. And he says, I want you to remember, in fact, this thing should be a constant memory in fact, and this is a picture of us as believers, it says when your children ask, there's something that there was a memory, there was a moment in your life that marked the end of your old, the end of your flesh, and it's one that your children will ask about when they see it. Where's this memorial now? Is it on the ground I mean, if you go over there and you do an excavation, you're going to find these stones because the Bible's literal. It's a literal place. But now it's in your heart. It's in your life. There's a memorial in your life, a constant remembering of what he's done. And it changes. If this is what's happening, it changes the way you think because they're about to face some things 10 times. They thought the wilderness was interesting. You think the wilderness has been tough. The Lord's like, listen. You thought that was fun. I want my church to be the church, and you will triumph. There is no lack of victory in you, but you will have to know that I'm God. You have to know that you know that you know that you know that you know that I'm God. And when you do, nothing's going to stop you. And then we get to Joshua 5. Is this all right, the way I'm kind of cutting through these scriptures? The way we're breezing through. Joshua 5, this is our favorite. Men, this is our favorite scriptures in the whole Bible. Because it says in Joshua 5, verse 2, at that time the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israelites. They were adults, you know. <laughs> So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gibeath Herahaloth. And Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were of old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. And then it says, verse 5, that they've circumcised, verse 6, it says, verse 7, so they circumcised, uh, and in verse 8, that all the males had been circumcised. <laughs> but look what it says. And they rested in the camp until they were healed. <laughs> then they rested in the camp. You thought that the Lord was done working on you already. You thought, oh man, I've been through so much. 
but I know you're God. All right, let's do this. And you see God start moving in your life, and you, you cross over. And then he says, now wait. <laughs> Got one, one more thing. One more thing. <laughs> one more thing. Now, today we still do this practice for medical. It has nothing to do with the spiritual as mo- the modern world. But the Bible tells us, New Testament, that this cutting off was a symbolism of flesh, cutting off the flesh. The flesh is your old man. It's that part of you that wants to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, and how you want to do it. And God says, there's some things. I'm, I want my church to be my church and I'm going to use you, and we're going to pound the walls of Jericho, and so on. But there is no flesh. There's no flesh allowed in this group. And God will do what he has to do. He'll let you rest after. But he will do what he needs to do. We, this is male and female, by the way, because it's now a circumcision of the heart. It's a heart thing the Lord is calling us to in this time, that whatever flesh is left, because it says that this was the leftover. These were the leftover. The symbolism here is the children. It was, you know, there were some things that God had dealt with. God had been dealing with you, but some of it got over the cross. Some of you made it through the cross. Wow, that's, this is significant. Wow, the gospel's coming to life. So this is what Paul and Peter are talking about when they write all these letters to the church, telling them to be pure and clean and like, hey, what's going on? Why do you have this and that in your church? And you're going, wait a second, pastor. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's to the world. It's not to the church. There was nothing clean, nothing that needed to happen because the blood of Jesus Christ, that's done. I beg to differ. It's clear that the Bible says that even though you crossed over, come on, Jesus delivered you, brought you over to the other side, and now you came from death to life, but there's some cutting. There's some cleansing that needs to happen in our lives, and the Lord's going to do it. The Lord's going to do it. It's not you anyway. It's an odd thought, but someone else cut the flesh off. Someone did that job for you. I wouldn't want to do that on my own anyway. The Lord's going to cut that flesh off of us. And it's absolutely necessary. Let them do it. Let them do it. You cannot and you will not make it if you try to bring flesh into your walk. It has to go. The cutting off has to happen. And God is so jealous for us. He loves us so much. His mercy is so great for us that he penned down the words Following the Gospels, we have the rest of the New Testament that the church today doesn't feel is necessary. We have all these words telling us how to live as believers. Why does that matter? Why does it matter? He wrote those words because it's a very sad thing, but as Jesus was walking John 6, 6, 6 says that many left him. It's a coincidence again. 
God didn't put the numbers. Man put those numbers on the scripture, just in case you didn't know that. So it would be easy for us as people to go and find the verse, but God knows what he's doing. And John 6, 6, 6, can you pull that up, please? The saddest verse in the whole Bible, it says that at that point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. God is cutting some flesh. Who's felt a little bit of the cutting? (laughs) It's not fun. Nothing really fun about it. The resting comes after. Let them cut it because then it says then they rested. Let them cut because that's when the rest comes. You want rest? There's restlessness in this world, isn't there? The world is restless. And as Christians, we are restless also, and only for one reason. We're only restless. The rest hasn't come because we haven't allowed God to finish what he started. It's what God is doing in this season. Well, it's always. It's not this season except that we've come to this time. It's what he always wanted, but now he's being a little more aggressive. There's some things, there's some stuff, and I can't wait to get into it and preach about it. There's some stuff that needs to come down. And who knows? We're just one little, you know, the United States is only less than 5% of the whole world's population. Whole world does not, God's world does not revolve around the United States, but this is where we are. Your world revolves around here. This is our president, this is our nation, and we need to remember that. And this is the blood that was paid for this nation, for us to live here. So uh, I, I, get, I, I see both sides. I see that to look at a worldview, to look at this whole world, it's this, the whole world is in his hands, but also this is where I'm at. God, what do you want us to do? What do you want this people to do? And it's clear in this nation. I'm sure across the world you're going to find the, the common theme. But in this nation, I'll judge this one because I'm here. This is my people. It's clear, without being political, that God has been doing a little bit of sifting, hasn't he? Some of the evil that you would never have imagined is coming to the surface. And they can keep denying it all they want, but it's coming, isn't it? It's been coming. And God's going to keep bringing it to the surface. Why does he do that? Why does he expose it? If we'll let him, if we'll let you, come on, I'm going to be a little bit, a little bit, you're going to pull the gown up and expose yourself. It's going to expose so it can be cut. And he's cutting. If we, as his church, and this is be, I'm jumping ahead. That's why it's time to pray more than ever. Because the Lord's exposing some things. And he's about to cut. He's already begun the cutting process. He's been sharpening the knife you didn't realize. He's been sharpening. He's already been cutting some things. The Lord's going to keep cutting. And it's for the sake of this nation that we're going to let him do it, aren't we? We're going to let him do it. Because there are some devils that have been ruling way too long. There are some kingdoms on his land. Let's read it. Joshua, and I'll close with this. Let's get some faith. Get some faith about this. Joshua was told, he said, verse, let's go back to chapter 1 where we started. Time has come. The time has come. Joshua 1, verse 2, the time has come. In verse 3, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, 
Wherever you set your foot, this is your land. The land's been occupied by the enemy far too long. And that's a personal thing, land in your life and this nation. The enemy has had control far too long. But he said, you will be on land I have given you. And he gives them coordinates, which are important to us. Because that means that there is some area. If you are an American citizen, God knew what he was doing when you were born here. This is, not a, this is not a political sermon. This is a spiritual internal sermon. But God knew what he was doing when you were born into this nation. And he asked those in their land that they were born into that call on the Lord and make him Lord to stand for him. And when no one stands for him, someone will stand. The enemy will gladly stand every time because of pride. It's the pride in him. He will always stand, but the Lord, his word is clear. What does the Lord do? He cuts down. He cuts those things down and puts something else in its place. Right on that place of the skull, whether it was Goliath's skull or the skull of death, it doesn't really matter, but the, God took the cross and pounded it into the ground on top of that skull and said, this is my land. Come on, let's stand. This is my land. This is my land, and it's my blood that's paid for it. Don't touch my people anymore. Let's just raise our hands. We thank you, God, that you're calling us to take the landlord in our own hearts. It's time to take that land, the land that's been occupied by foreign things, Lord. It's been a land that has been, there's been idol worship by those foreign things, those foreign rulers in our heart, in our minds. But I thank you, Lord, that those things are coming down in Jesus' name. And your church is going to stand as the glorious bride that you paid the price to give us life. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. And in this nation, let's just pray for a moment. We cannot forget to do this. God, as one church in one voice, God, we pray for this nation. We lift it up to you, Lord. From the very top to the very lowest, each one is yours. This land is yours. Because I'm standing on it. And if I'm here, then you're here. And if you're here, then this is your land. And in the name of Jesus, every force of hell that has set itself against my life and against this nation will fall and will be beneath my feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.